You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and this is the Power Hour. We take your calls and answer your questions about engines, performance, fuel economy, troubleshooting, modifications, ECM and electrical issues, emission problems, and so much more. I'm sure you have questions, and I'm sure we might have an answer. So pick up the phone and give us a call. Helping me out today from Pittsburgh Power, we have a team here. Bruce and Ethan and John are joining me. So, hey, guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having us, Kevin. It's always a pleasure. Great to have you here. So, yeah, absolutely. Great to have you guys back. And uh, the calls are piling up. There's always a lot of questions for you guys. But uh, what do we want to start with today? Well, we got a message from Corporate Detroit Diesel that 77% of the ECM cores that they get back, turned back in because people were told that their ECM is bad, 77% of them are still good. So too many people are blaming too many problems on ECMs. That's why you need to thoroughly check the ECM and the rest of the truck before you go spending a couple thousand dollars on another ECM. So that was right from corporate. Leroy, our Ethan's going to talk about diagnosing electrical problems over the phone. And I want to say a couple things here. People today depend on text messages, emails, and voicemails. They don't always go through. I just had one of the magazines uh, call me and say, did you get the revised article I sent you last night? The answer is no. I just canceled a doctor's appointment this morning. Well, I, I called this morning because I was supposed to be there right now. I canceled it on Friday night and left it on their machine. Guess what? They didn't get it. So unless you physically talk to the person, you cannot assume that they're always getting your messages. But everybody wants to depend on that, but you can't. And then my last thing I want to say is Big Cam Cummins. We are getting overloaded with Big Cams. Phone calls, people wanting engine parts. People were bringing A models and 315 out of the woodwork and rebuilding these engines. We stock more parts than anybody in North America, but Cummins only makes parts in groups. So they wait until they have so many back orders, and then they'll make the cylinder kits or they'll make the injectors. So if you're planning on rebuilding a big cam, try to plan in advance so that we make sure we try to keep the parts in stock, but sometimes they are on back order. Got it. Still hey, have people... Before we... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, we still have a lot of people not changing their torsional damp front of that after the half a million miles and they call up and they say my my exhaust manifold bolts are coming loose and we just put this on my turbo nuts are coming loose something will be sacrificial 
because it's going to absorb the vibrations and the torsional twisting of that failed crankshaft damper. So people have to change those things because they're creating a lot more problems. The harmonics is traveling through that truck, and chances are it's going to pick on the last item that was just put on there, whether it was a clutch, a pressure plate, a flywheel, or a manifold or a turbo. So I'm going to turn it over to Ethan right now, unless you have something to say about that, Kevin. I do. Two things I want to say. One, I couldn't agree more on the damper because nobody wants loose turbo nuts. Um, Two, 77%, did I hear that right? 77% of the cores that go back to Detroit are still good. That means it was misdiagnosed by the mechanic at the shop. Now think about this. What's the easiest thing to change whenever you have a problem? The ECM. It's the ECM. easy. So Years what ago, you're saying, the, the the only reason to send a core back, the only reason they would be getting that core is because somebody said this is bad and we need a new one, right? That is correct. That's a crazy we, high number. Now, you know, I, I like to think the best of people and, and think that they're not, you know, intentionally cheating anybody. But you start to wonder because it's an easy fix, and it may not be a fix. Obviously, it's not going to be a fix. If they sent the core back and there's nothing wrong with it, um, I guess it still could have been an ECM problem that could have been fixed. But, you know, you start to wonder it's a high-dollar item, and it's easy. So people, just, the, the shops just aren't looking enough. They're not troubleshooting properly. Well, you know, uh, uh, most of the mechanics are mechanical people, and now we have all these electrical issues, and so the majority of the problems on trucks today are boost leaks and electrical, not mechanical. Let's face it, the mechanical part of the truck runs over a million miles, but the electrical part does not. It doesn't run a million miles trouble-free. With the salt and the mad chloride and the corrosion... Yeah, you know, that's interesting because for the people who have been around through what I almost see as kind of three stages of diesel engines, we had the mechanical engines, and honestly, they were pretty darn easy to troubleshoot. A diesel engine is a pretty simple thing. It's just, to me, it's it's a work of art in its simplicity, and there aren't that many things that go wrong. But back then, you know, we didn't have some of the the machining processes we have now. So you did do more maintenance, rolling in bearings a lot more often, things like that. We did have more fuel dilution. Then we went to the electronic engines, which I think was a a major advance in a lot of ways. Fuel economy, performance, you know, the engine lives a long time. And for me, I think that was the sweet spot. The late 90s, early 2000s, Then we go into the emission phase, and now all of the electronics and sensors have become so complicated. You know, when we were in that sweet spot, late 90s to early 2000s, it was not unusual to own a truck for 1 to 1.3 or 4, even 5 million miles, 1.5 million miles, and do almost no repairs on the engine. I mean, it was amazing how little we had to work on back then. As far as 
my trucks were and most of the people I know. Now we are dealing with all of these electrical sensor, you know, ECM kind of issues, and most shops just aren't very good at it. Well, yeah, Kevin, as you drive along the interstates and you see the trucks broke down, and if you know the years of the trucks, if you look from 1995 through 2002, those trucks are not sitting on the side of the road. It's the 2003 and newer, and especially the 2008 and newer. But why don't we let Ethan talk about diagnosing electrical problems over the phone? Good idea. Ethan, it's all yours. Yes, um, it, it's it's a very difficult process, especially over the phone. Um, if you think about it, there there's so many different parts of a system. Uh, you know, from just if it, even a sensor issue, it could be a sensor, a wire, or a failed circuit in the ECM. And some of these systems are designed to work together. So the code you might get may not actually be what it, it obviously says it is. It might be throwing a code for a differential pressure, but why is that code being thrown? And they want to instantly change the sensor, but they didn't look close enough to see that you're getting an invalid reading, but why? Uh, something like the EGR valve is plugged up or the cooler has a leak in it can cause these readings, and then you know you have an issue, but it, it gets misdiagnosed. Um, other parts of you know electrical systems, some of these systems are extremely complex, such as the optimized idle I was working on in the shop. There's about eight different parts of it, and it all has to work perfect for it to turn the truck on on its own and maintain the temperature. Uh, something as simple as the light bulb burning out on the dash will keep it from turning on. And over the phone, uh, it's tough to walk somebody through every little part because sometimes I jump up there and I'm like, hey, I, I, I see the problem. Uh, it's right. just that fast if, if it's in front of you. And the way I would describe it, or Leroy, might be different than what you're describing it as. Uh, so the communication there can be tough, too, because you know, the terminology we're going to use might be different. You know, that makes so much sense, and I, I hope people start to understand that we need to talk about it more so that they don't have an expectation that you can just fix this over the phone. You know, I'll, I'll give, well, I was going to give a good analogy, but I'll have to wait till we get back from this break. So stick around. We will come right back after this, uh, and we will be getting to your calls and questions. So don't go away. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Welcome back. Has a chance to be in number today? 
Hey there. We're back. So um, Hi there. I, I want to make an analogy. I was uh, I was just thinking about this, and I built my first computer in 1984. I went to Radio Shack. I read an article about how you could do it, and I bought all these parts from Radio Shack, and it probably took me a month to get, get it right. And so I was thinking, that's 32 years I've been working with or on computers, and I did it a lot for a long time, and I've done – Unix and Windows and Mac and OSs that don't even exist anymore. And what I remember of about the first 20 years of that time is you were constantly working on computers. It, they almost never worked right. Every time you tried to do something different, you had to troubleshoot it. I was always on hold with tech support on equipment. And now you turn it on and they just work. I mean, and I remember the same thing. Trying to help people troubleshoot a computer over the phone was a nightmare. But if they just gave it to me and I had my hands on it, I could fix it pretty quickly. We are just still in the infancy of these really complicated computerized trucks. I mean, it hasn't even really been 10 years yet um, for for a lot of the sensors we're seeing in the – Every year, it seems like the electronics get more complicated. So, you know, it's just something we're going to have to work through. But, but what I love about you guys at Pittsburgh Power is you're really kind of leading that charge. You're, you're working out better ways and tools of troubleshooting these. So uh, we need a lot more of that. Do you guys have anything else, or do we want to get to some calls? Well, I have a little announcement to make here. Uh, we've just switched Ethan for Leroy, so we've got Leroy with us for the rest of the program. Not, not as it. good as Ethan, right. but I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, you guys, I don't know. We'll. Uh, I love having both of you on here because it <laughs> is so much now about electronics and sensors and all that stuff. So um, let's go to some phone calls then. Let's uh, Let's go to Iowa. Jake, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, Bruce, uh, appreciate being on your show here. I got a 2012 ISX. uh, Had to delete. PDI did it. Um, I put a harmonic balancer on this winter. It's got 550, almost 55,000 miles on it. I, when I'm idling, I've got a little, it doesn't quite level out or idle smooth. I mean, it ain't ain't rough. It runs fine. But when you're idling, you know, when you're in a bucket, just kind of, it's kind of got a, more of a vibration than I think it should. I'm kind of wondering where to turn. Well, I would check your fuel pressure. Um, it, they might have raised the fuel pressure there in that region. That usually makes them run a little bit rough. Well, it, it really, it just kind of started this winter. I mean, it, it, I've, I've, had, I've had the leak done for probably four years, three years anyway. It just really kind of started here this winter. And I really haven't oh, okay. changed any, anything. Other than I put some rear end, I mean, not, nothing motor-wise outside of a, put a harmonic balancer on. And it was doing it before that. I thought maybe the balancer might help a little bit, but it, it didn't. Um, I would uh, hmm. What's up? What's I, I would also want to check a couple other things there, but uh, that really sounds like um, hmm. that's interesting. Most likely what I've seen is fuel pressure, but it depends on what they, they've done. Um, I, I would ask them about it. They would probably know more about what they've done and what that might have, you know, uh, be attributed okay. to. Okay. Could since we're 
since we're worried about fuel pressure, which sounds correct, could deteriorating fuel lines cause this? That would cut down on fuel pressure, though, right? Yeah, no, normally correct. the higher the fuel pressure is, the the worse that symptom is. But yeah. uh, mm-hmm. unless it, you know, something inside is starting to bend, like the crank is slightly bent now or something like that, maybe there's a lot of cylinder pressure that bent the crank or something. Um, it, it depends. Uh, what horsepower is it set to? Uh, like 600, 620, somewhere in that area. I didn't go crazy with it. Like 620 at the wheels or 620 at the flywheel? 620 at the wheel, or flywheel. Okay. Yeah, that's not so bad. The, uh, the newer engines, they, uh, they don't like to take too much horsepower for some reason. Um, their, their fuel pumps and stuff like that just aren't set up for it. But, uh, you're not pushing too much horsepower, so. Hey, Hmm. Leroy. We yep. had mentioned that when the ISX came out, the ECM had 6,400 parameters, which it was more it was more powerful than the space shuttle computers. Now, mm-hmm. you told me the other day, how many parameters are in the new ISX ECM? And Kevin, you have to hear uh, that number. The 22 and 2350s have about 19,800 some, something like that. So there, there's a lot going on there. 19,800 you know parameters that can be changed. You know, when you start thinking then about the combinations of changes, it becomes literally mind-boggling. It's got to be in the millions. Mm-hmm. That is correct. That's why... We try to, when people have a problem like this, we try to be very insistent that they find a way to get it to our shop because now this gentleman has 19,800 parameters. Who knows what they changed? How how do you you help a problem like this without spending some time in it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So, Jake, I, it, this looks like one you definitely have to get in um, to try to track this one down and troubleshoot it. Let's go to uh, Minnesota. John, it's your turn. Welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Um, I'm having an issue with my engine fan not turning on. Uh, right now on my dash, my thermostat shows about oh about 165 170 but i look up at my scan gauge and it's at 182 now the engine warning lights come on as normal and it does kill the engine if it does get too hot and when i have my ac on the engine fan turns on to cool down the condenser but it is not turning on when the engine itself is getting warm all right, now let, me, let me stop your. Let, let me ask you a question right here. Uh, and and everybody does this when they call us. They start telling us about the problem. But you didn't mention what kind of truck, you didn't mention what year, and you didn't mention what engine that you have. So those are the uh, first three things that we need to know. And the reason I'm saying this is because. This happens every day. This happens with emails, text messages. 
we need to know the truck, the year, and the engine. Okay? So then yep. we can think about what your problem is. So what what do you have here? 2000 Peterbilt 379 with an N14. Okay. And we had a spare ECM for an N14 sitting around, so we even tried changing that out, and that did not fix the issue. And then we changed back you, to the original you, have ECM. Have you changed the thermostat at all by any chance? Have you started with something basic like a thermostat? Uh, the stats, the mechanical stats were changed out. I do not believe they have actually changed out the sensor. But the thing is, the stat on my scan gauge says it's, you know, a different temperature than my gauge in the truck. Yeah, so it sounds like that we're getting two different readings from two different sources. Leroy, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fairly straightforward. Um, it's either it only could be a couple things. It's either going to be the ECM, the wiring to the fan solenoid, the fan solenoid itself, or the wiring to the fan clutch, or the fan clutch itself could be bad. Uh, really, three basic parts: ECM, fan solenoid, or fan clutch, and then the wiring in between those. Um, something there is not working. If you have a power probe, or even if you just took a hot wire off of your battery and jumped into the fan solenoid, you should hear it click, and you should uh, hear the air release and not. Um, that's the easiest way to test it. And if it doesn't do that when you jump 12 volts to it, then your fan solenoid's bad. And if it does do the, it, and you're... Go ahead. The fan turns on with the uh, switch in the cab, and it also turns on when it needs to cool down the AC condenser. It is not turning okay, yeah. on when the engine is hot. That's uh, they can. It depends on how it's wired. If you manually ground that switch with a switch and dash, that would work. Um, but it, it depends on if it's wired just hardwired to the fan solenoid or whether it requests it through the ECM. It can be either way, but most likely, from what it sounds like, is it's just hardwired to that fan solenoid, and the ECM has no control over the um, the uh, fan solenoid. That's what it sounds like. Okay, I'll do some looking into that. Thank you guys very much for your time. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hold that thought. We're going to get to a break. We're going to come right back with more stuff right after this. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
The website is letstruck.com. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Leroy and John from Pittsburgh Power joining me. Hey, guys, while we're on that topic, I had a call yesterday, and I asked him if he could call back today, and I just looked through the board, and I don't see him. Uh, so I'll run it by you. Um, I'm about 95% sure it was a 6NZ because I was thinking in my head as I was answering the question it was a, a more simple engine. And he had uh, an issue where it just wouldn't get above about 140, 150 temperature-wise. He could turn the fan on and off, and and he knew the fan wasn't running continuously. The obvious one is thermostats. Is there anything else that could do that? Uh, Well, I would verify that it actually couldn't go over 140. Is that just what the sensor reading is, or is that what it actually only goes to? he went out. Yeah, he went out and shot it with an infrared uh, temp gun and said it was running really cool. Yeah, that's something mechanical then. Yeah, that's got to be the thermostat. That's what I thought. He said they were replaced about a year ago, and I said, well, yeah, they could have been replaced last week. They could still fail again. So yeah. uh, I just wanted to know if there was anything else. I didn't think so. Let's uh, Let's go to... Uh, Oklahoma. Angie, welcome to the program. Thank you. I just have a a quick question. I think it's an electrical problem, but it could be a transmission problem. I have a Volvo 780. Can you hear me okay? Yes, Yes. we we got you. Okay. I have a Volvo 780 2007, and this thing, it, it will not shift. Like, it shifts. It's an automatic, and it shifts, but it keeps getting stuck. Sometimes I get stuck at night, it won't shift up. Sometimes it won't shift down, like if I get off an off-ramp or go to pull over or whatever. And it just does it out of the blue. When my husband gets out and he takes the um, cables off the battery, it resets. But it then get going, and it's fine for a while. <laughs> then it starts it all over again. Okay. Which engine and which transmission do you have? The engine is a VED-12, and the transmission is a Eaton. Volvo, the Volvo engine with an Eaton transmission. Automatic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It sounds well, like Leroy, here you transmit. go again. This is your day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that. Uh I can't think right off the top of my head. Um, I I do have a troubleshooting guide for that. I have to revisit it, but it sounds like something with the transmission controller is getting stuck. Uh, there's a reading that it's getting that's that's hanging up in one gear. Um, I don't think that it's a mechanical issue. That sounds more of like a uh, module, something's going on with it, whether it's a sensor or wire or the module itself. But it sounds electrical for sure. Maybe wire and harness? This, um, it could on, be. It could be wire and harness? Okay, yeah. so I know this is a wild question, and I'm not trying to nail you down, but is this like a small price tag or really expensive, <laughs> or we have no idea yet? Uh, I would not be buying. Uh, I would get it into Eaton or get it into our shop, but I would troubleshoot it first before I started spending money on it. Yeah, it could I'll be go and replace a wire and harness or a module or a computer until you have it diagnosed. Yeah. Okay. 
So either eat, no, you guys. You guys sound better to me. Okay, perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. Because we were worried we're going to have to replace the transmission, but I think it's electrical. So no, now thank you. If it were a yeah, if it were a mechanical transmission problem, taking the cables off wouldn't reset anything. Um, Bruce, no. I, you know, we all have those little pet peeves we have to deal with every day, like you know, not getting the truck and engine up front so you can start thinking about the question as they're asking it. I have one, and I know this is really picking nits, but I, I, I try to get people to refer to these transmissions as auto shift or automated manual transmissions, not automatics. And I know it's just a word, but um, there really is a big difference. Um, the, the term on these it really is auto shift or automated manual. Not a big deal, but uh, it's one of those things. Let's, uh, well, Kevin, let's go. Yeah, go ahead. And, and this happens every day. You know, we get a couple hundred phone calls, and everyone wants to tell you the problem. But first, tell us what you have. And that and one, if, that is a big one. Because yeah. and if, if you're, you don't, if you're calling about a, a, a Caterpillar, don't say a C15. There's seven different C15s. There's six different right. 3406Es. Yeah, it, and... The issue there, I get it. That's a big one for me on the air, too, because if they start on the problem, my mind immediately starts thinking, well, what, a, what engine, what truck? So I'm hardly even listening to the question. And even if I was, I can't even start to formulate an answer until I know. So it, it's like we have to start all over again. So that, that really is a good one. When you're asking a question about a truck, an engine, a transmission, Give us the details up front before you start asking the question or telling us what's wrong. Let's go to California. Russell, welcome to the program. Uh, hello. Um, I'm going to guess about uh, November, December. I was uh, listening to a show that I record called Coast to Coast, and uh, they, had a, they, had a, they had a guest. They 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 had a guest on there who uh, who. Evidently, is working with a company that invented a device that looks like a muffler. Basically, what it does is it uh, it actually uh, neutralizes the actual exhaust system, removing the filtration system and the EGR valves from the truck, the, the diesel engines. Have you heard anything about this? We have. Before we, we have not. We we hear rumors about stuff like this. Uh, there was even one spreading around the uh, Louisville show and the people. The owner-operator that said, well, they said they talked to you, Bruce. I said, no, they didn't, but go back to their booth and tell them to come on over because I'd like to see it. Well, from now, what I understand, we get, Salt Lake. Before we get too deep into this, when was the show Coast to Coast with George Norrie? Yes, it was. It was a guest out of Salt Lake. He went down to CARB to have it tested in CARB on a pickup with that Cummins engine. And I just want to throw in here so we have a little context. I mean, that's the same show where people call in about UFOs. They call also about conspiracies and all kinds of stuff. It's an entertainment channel, kind of like freewheeling entertainment. Yeah, and and that's all I'm saying is just we need to put it in context because I I used to listen to the show for entertainment as well, and you get some wild, far-out stuff in there, and and it is entertainment, so they don't verify anything. It's just, 
Um, I, I, I followed this for years. There was a very legitimate company back in 08, 09 that was working on a technology that would have done away with EGR, would have done away with SCR, um, would have made the entire process an after-treatment, and they, they just never got it to work. They went through rounds and rounds of funding. They worked on it for years. They thought they were going to have it out in time for the, the 2011 emissions, and they were just never able to bring it to market. It, and I haven't seen any – there's lots of companies working on it, but I haven't seen anybody really come close yet. Well, the, it was like Nova Technologies, Nova Industries, something of that nature. I had it on my iPad, but my wife deleted it, so I can't tell you what exactly of the website was. But it, it looked promising. You know, it looked like a, an exhaust, well, you know, muffler, you know. But yeah, still. here's the other thing I can tell you. This would be the holy grail. I mean, exactly. if you look at what the engine manufacturers are going through, what the repair shops are going through, what we're going through, if this happens, it's not going to be a matter of I can't find it. It is going to be all over everywhere. So when it does happen, we're going to know about it. Oh yeah, your your exhaust would be straight out, and it was supposed to be clean, from what I understood on that Cummins engine they were talking about on a pickup. But anyway, I just thought I'd touch bases with you. I've been trying to get hold of you for quite a while. So anyway, you have yourself Got a good it. evening. Okay. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go. I'll go look. But uh, you know, I read five industry newsletters every morning, and I haven't seen anything really new coming down the road for a while. Uh, Let's go to South Carolina. Joe, welcome to the program. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for letting me get on with the piece of your Bruce. I have a 9400 International with a BSX code Acer cap. And oh, when hold, I that, hold that thought right there because I don't want to miss the rest of the details. Uh, we've got to get to a break when we come back. We will get to this call and as many more as we can before we have to wrap up the show. Stick around. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. Before before we do, hey hey Bruce, I, I've got, I just had a thought here. Um, George Norrie's show. He's obviously way bigger than I am. Been around forever. Um, it, it's an interesting overnight show. They get all kinds of wild UFO conspiracy theory stuff. It's very entertaining. 
but it, it it's now on the trucking channel. Uh, it is the overnight show on the trucking channel now, and it starts right after my program airs. I, I would have to think that if somebody were calling that show to talk about a new diesel engine technology, wouldn't my show be a better option if it were legitimate? I would think so. And if any company comes up with something, why don't they get in touch with you or with I so that we can yeah. bring it to the public, bring it to our shop, let's do an emissions test on it, let's try it, let's test it. If you take it to Southwest Research in San Antonio, it's $100,000, pass or fail. We can do basically the same testing for about $8,500. You know, so... We hear about this yeah. stuff, we get the phone calls about it, and I said, well, bring it in and let's see it. You know, let's touch it. Let's look at it. Let's see how the engineering is done on it. But um, most of the time, you, you hear about it, but you never see it. I'm, and it's, it's unfortunate. I wish some of these things would come true. Oh, yeah, me too. Let's uh, let's get back to that call, see how many we can knock out before we've got to get out of here. Joe, go ahead. Okay. DSX code eight for that, and I've noticed this thing as the temperature gets warmed up. When I get into a hole, my water temp is creeping up faster and higher than what it did previously. I suspect that I may have either a suck thermostat or a water pump that a bit too used. I have about 1.2 billion miles on this engine, and I haven't done anything with either one in 500,000 miles that I've had the truck. Okay. Does it have the original radiator? No. I replaced that about two years ago. And whose radiator did you put in it? I put a Detroit radiator in that's supposed to have one extra row of cooling, so it's supposedly heavier duty than factor. That was the one company I wish you wouldn't have said. But anyway, um, have you noticed on their radiator, you can actually read a book through it. The fins are that far apart. And one of the rules in radiators is once you go to the fifth row, the fifth row doesn't get enough air to pull, so you better have to have more tubes and stay with four rows. But did this, did, when you put that Detroit rad in, did it fix the problem at the time? Uh, yeah, actually the truck ran great with it until basically this okay. spring. Okay, so now what I would do is I would change the thermostat and I would change the radiator cap. And if you want to check the water pump, back on the right side of the block, usually by where the block heater is, you can put an oil pressure gauge in there and rev the engine up, and you should see about 35 pounds of water pressure. Okay. Okay. You need a pressure gauge and, and put it in there and just at an idle, just rev it up to about 17, 1800 and see what your pressure is. And you might want to call Caterpillar and see what the pressure, exactly what it's supposed to be. I, I know most trucks it's in the 30s. Okay. But on the BXS, I'm not sure if that's exactly it. All right? 
All right. Thank you very much for the info, gentlemen. You're welcome. All right. Put a 180 thermostat in it, too. I, 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 what I love doing this show, that, that I've never thought about that. I, I've told people all the time this could just be a flow issue. What a great way to check for good flow. Yep. Just a simple pressure gauge. And that's 35 love PSI, that. by the way. That's, come, that's from Big Cam. That was the Big Cam Cummins had 35. And I'm... I should make it a note and, and check more engines and see just what their water pressures are, but I, I think most of them are in that 30-pound area. That'd be good to know because, you know, as we're keeping these older trucks alive longer, I get more and more calls about overheating issues, and you, you know it's just deterioration possibly throughout the whole system, so testing flow would be a great way to do that. That is correct. Let's... Uh, Let's go to Pennsylvania. Slavko, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I talked to you about a week or so ago regarding my uh, Acer, that's an 05 Acer uh, cat engine. And I was asking about the wear metal count. I had, apparently, this engine was rebuilt. I took an oil sample at 10,000 miles, and I was just wondering what kind of uh, wear sample or wear metal count should I have on this engine if it was properly, if it was rebuilt? You know, I'll, I'll uh, oh, so you're questioning your, whether it was rebuilt or not, or you know for sure that it was? I'm questioning if it was rebuilt or not. Yeah, you know what, we won't be able to tell from wear metals. I mean, there are so many other variables, how long ago, and if we don't know whether it was rebuilt, we don't know how long it might have been. Um, unless you guys have some other idea, I, I don't think I could do anything with wear metals trying to figure out if it were really rebuilt or not. I would think that a uh, crankcase pressure test would be a better indication. Or are you in 10,000 miles, you should be less than 18 parts per million on the iron, are you? Uh, I don't know yet. I have. Uh, I don't. I'm driving right now, so I don't have the thing in front of me. So I was just hoping to take it a list of, um, of kind of kind of it shows here: iron, chromium, nickel, aluminum, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I was just yeah, wondering what kind of numbers I should look at. The problem is we could make some guesses, but but there are so many variables. It, Bruce is right. It should be very low on iron, but if the same sample had a little bit of coolant intrusion or fuel dilution, then we could see wear metals go up, for, and that would be the reason. So we could make some guesses. It just wouldn't be very definitive. I see. I see. What, what is your oil consumption? When you change the oil and filters, how many miles do you go before you have to put your first gallon in? Um, probably, well, in the first 10,000 miles, I put in one gallon. Doesn't yeah. sound like a rebuild. I was running a synthetic before, but uh, after this so-called rebuild, um, I put in just a natural, just a regular 1540 in there. So I was just questioning that. I'm a a little confused. You were running synthetic in this engine? No, I used to run synthetic. Like If if you were to look at the oil sample, I was running synthetic. But when I started with this one here, I started with the regular 1540 uh, for the first 10,000 miles and then see what happens from there. 
I, I guess I'm trying to figure out why we did you just buy this truck and somebody said it was in framed but didn't have any documentation? No, um, actually the engine was out on the floor, and uh, but he said uh, he will rebuild it. But I took a job on while he was rebuilding it, so I never really saw when he was rebuilding it. And I've had a number of uh, problems with this engine um, that just doesn't seem like a rebuild to me. Where where are you located? What part of the country? I'm in Ontario, in Canada. Well, do you ever get down near us? Uh, no. I'm usually at the other side of uh, Pennsylvania, down around Jersey side. Okay. Because there's some, there's some telltale signs we could look at to see if this thing was rebuilt or not. I see. I see. But okay. if, just in case, don't put synthetic in for 25,000 miles just in case he did put new cylinder kits in it. Okay. Okay. All right. I will do that. Then. And I just have one more question if you have a second. Um, I've, sure. I've got that oil bypass, and um, the oil bypass on there, but they never put on the pressure side. Where would I hook up the pressure side um, on, a, on a Columbia with the OPS on there? John? On the, on the same so road, you guys have any, where, where are we pulling whenever we put an OPS on an A-cert, on an MXS A-cert? Where are we getting the oil pressure? Aren't we usually getting galley. it some on on the right side of the engine? On, one on of the right side, there's, plugs? There's, a, there's an oil galley there with uh, some straight thread O-ring plugs in them that are pretty easy to access and get out. I think there's six of them right down the side of the engine there. And it's a good old gallery to tap into. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, that's an A-cert, so you've oh. got that cooler and a bunch of other stuff in the way. You're going to have to go toward the rear of the engine there. You'll see some plugs that uh, are a uh, straight thread O-ring type plug. They come out quite easily. And uh, we've got an adapter to go in there if you haven't got one with your kit. Great stuff, guys. Hey, we ran right into the end of the show, so uh, I've got to wrap it up. Leroy, John, Bruce, thanks as always. We didn't get to your question. Give them a call at Pittsburgh Power. See you next week. Be safe. Be profitable. Fit and healthy. Always do the hard work that master the journey. Kevin Russell. All right, everybody, we're going to head into the second hour. Looks like we've got a lot of questions right now, but I'll keep you updated as we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of truck. Answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers. The list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call. We'll talk about it here. 
We are heading down the home stretch towards the CMC. I'm really excited. We are still adding stuff. This is going to be a jam-packed week. You just, it's hard. To, I could spend the, the rest of the hour on the show talking about all the things that are going on this week. We have, uh, not only do we have all of the speakers that have always been with us coming back, we have some new speakers this year. We're covering a lot more topics. We have a lot of people coming to uh, learn about getting their authority and becoming a carrier. We're going to talk about uh, all the issues with that. We have uh, one of the, I believe, the best attorneys in the trucking industry coming in. Uh, We'll continue to add to this even as we uh, get closer Uh, Pittsburgh Power is going to be building their signature engine on site. That's going to be a very cool thing to watch. We have two film crews that are going to be coming for different reasons, so we're hoping to catch a lot of this um, on video. Not sure exactly what we're going to do with that yet, but uh, we are going to work to get as much of this captured on video as possible. Just so much stuff going on. I'd love to have you here. The good news is we have room this year, so you can still get signed up. We will finance it for you. I can't make it any easier. And even though we're less than a month away, you only have to make the down payment on the program, which is about 100 bucks. Then you get to come. You get all of the information, everything that's going to go on all week, and then you have a year to pay for it. So honestly, when you sign up right now, you put $100 down, you get to go through the whole program for the week. And after that, the program might as well be free. You are going to save and make so much more money every month that your $100 a month payment, you're not even going to notice it. Get signed up. Love to see you there. We have room. There's so much going on. You can go to the website, letstruck.com, look under the events tab. You can sign up there yourself. Or if you have any questions, just call us. We have uh, the Tribe Care team there to help you out, answer all your questions, get you signed up. Grab something to write with. I'll give you the number. It's 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. We also have coverage this year from Overdrive Magazine, so uh, I'm excited about that as well. Great stuff going on. Um, Speaking of the – no, you know what? I'm going to hold that because we've got a lot of calls. I'd probably hold that thought for uh, the weekend show when I have more time. Just some phone calls. Let's go to Virginia. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Hi again, Kevin. I got a quick question for you, and then there was a, a shout-out and kudos I wanted to give yesterday that I forgot in all the excitement in our conversation. <laughs> okay, um, go ahead. Uh, now that uh, I can really feel like we've got a handle on bringing our revenue up, um, one number that I haven't focused on too heavily was what's what's a good bottom-line number of profit per mile, mile for us to aim for? I mean, I know the bigger the number, the better, but What's the number that you'd be comfortable with saying, shoot for that, and then we'll go from there? Yeah, let's talk about this in a, in a couple different ways. Um, we'll do it as a profit per mile first. And what I'd like to look at here is it's just a good benchmark to start with. 
What exactly. could you go out and earn as a company driver? You know, 45, 50 cents a mile, whatever that number is. We certainly don't want to be lower than that. So that's and that's our, kind our of what bare, I was thinking. Yeah, that that's kind of our bare minimum. Um, you know, what, when I set goals, I like it's kind of like negotiation. There are three numbers I'd like to have in my mind. To have the absolute bottom, I, I do not want to go below this number. In this case, that would be what I could make as a company driver. Certainly, don't want to be lower than that. Then I would yeah. have that dream, that dream number. You know, my God, if I could get this, that would just be the holy grail. Uh, and then I have the stretch goal. You know, so let's say okay. that 45 is my just bare minimum. I, I'm not going to go to work for anything less than that. Um, let's say that that magical number of a dollar my, per mile profit. And that's a that's yes. a big goal. Doesn't happen very often. That's like my dream number. Then okay. seventy five cents a mile might be my stretch goal. But there's another okay. factor to think of here. And that other one is where are you right now? And you don't have to answer it now or you can, but it, I it, do. Because if you're I do. Yeah, so where are you now? Uh, we closed, and I'm using the quarter because of the way that we ran our trips. There's settlements that hit in March that we drove in February. So March ended yeah. at 54 cents profit per mile, but for the quarter, we're at 20 cents. So we're getting better, but <laughs> we had some uh, ground yeah, uh, so, to make up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we could look at that, that month because it's the most recent and probably the most accurate, especially since you're kind of new at this, and say, well, we've already – blown past the bottom number. We're, we're good with that. Um, that dollar is kind of out there, you know, as the dream. 75 cents for you would be a great stretch goal. You know, the odds of okay. you making it by the end of this year, it's certainly possible. Um, okay. You're going to have to work hard for it, but that's what a stretch goal is all about. Um, exactly. Now, there's another, there's another way that I look at this. This is why when you look at our business report from Profit Cages, you have three columns. You have the, the actual dollar amount that you either earned or spent, just stated in dollars. Then you have mm -hmm. the cost or revenue per mile column. And then you have that other column that we don't always talk about a lot, but it's the percentage of income. Mm -hmm. and, and I have all three of those. <laughs> exactly. So that's a, that's a great number. And here's what I've always kind of found is a really good goal for an owner-operator, throw out equipment payments. So if you okay. have an equipment payment, we just take it out of the equation. The reason being, somebody could have a really high equipment payment because they just built a new glider. Somebody else could have that truck paid for. Their number is zero. There, there's no real correlation there. That doesn't tell us anything about how efficiently we are operating. That's why oh, I throw okay, that yeah. number out. And then only look at operational cost. Now, that will be okay. things like insurance. It, it still could be some fixed cost, just not equipment payments. And what okay. I shoot for is after we take out equipment payments, can we keep 50% of the revenue we generate. All right. I like it. And 
the you. average for most owner operators is about 35% is what they're keeping. Okay. So that is a really good stretch goal to get to. And I don't very often see too many people get beyond that. Okay. Well, we're halfway there at 18% for the quarter. <laughs> there, there you go. It, and that's the there you, you have a number. You have a number, you have a goal, and you have a way to measure how close you're getting. Excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, that's what I, the, the second piece to this is I just wanted to uh, shout out to you and your team and put Nick out of the mentor program. And you're actually been my primary mentor. I think you've held my hand and our hand through this the whole step of the way. And I just want to say thank you. We're really happy here at Landstar. And uh, also a big shout out and kudos to John Cabuto. He's our mentor. And he was the one that helped me shift gears. I couldn't get my brain around, but if we're not making money, the wheels aren't turning, we're not earning kind of thing. And he said, look, look at it this way. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're in care on the tires, we're in care on the truck, we've got maintenance expenses, and we can barely, you know, cover them with what we're earning. I mean, you know, we planned and we set money aside, but, you know, we were watching right. the window. So I just right. wanted to say thank you and make sure, uh, shout out to him. And then uh, Keith, I don't know his last name, he's worked with us some too, and he encouraged us to just hang tight because the better paying loads sometimes come at the last minute. So two of them in that program you put together. Thank you. Excellent. And, and we are, you know, one of my projects, and we have a lot of stuff going on here, is to expand on the mentor program, turn it into kind of a coaching program as well. And, and I, I'm a big believer in that philosophy. And uh, I'm going to come back and talk about that a little bit right after this break and uh, kind of give you an idea of, of where I'd like to be headed. It just requires a lot of time and resources, but it's a, a worthwhile goal, so it's a stretch goal for me. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I was talking with Cheryl before the break. I was uh, talking about her, uh, the help she's got in our mentor program. And, you know, the two carriers we work with, Landstar and Mercer, have been very successful working with us on that program. And, And it helps because if you can get a mentor or a coach that's at the carrier, they can even address your specific issues and how things work. So, Cheryl, thanks for the, the feedback on that. And, you know, I am now in an executive coaching program, and I really debated about whether or not this was going to do me any good. And, and one of the reasons why is, honestly, there is not another company in the country that does what we do. 
So how do I find somebody who knows more about what we do than I do? You know, I, uh-huh. I, so I, I was going back and forth, you know, will they be able to understand our business model because nobody's ever really done this before? And I thought, you know, I, I, I need some general coaching as the company grows. Um, so I decided to do it. But then the more I do it, the more I see the value in that your coach doesn't necessarily have to be better than you are. I mean, think about sports. Um, oh, Michael yeah. Jordan had a coach. Every top athlete, the, the absolute best in the world at something has a coach. And their coach isn't better than they are, or they'd be the best in the world. Coaches are good at coaching. So that's really, you know, the skills I want to help people build are the coaching skills. And then we want to kind of put the, together the technology and the ability to connect people and make this all happen. And um, eventually, you know, right now it's all voluntary. I mean, we volunteer our time and, and our resources to make the connections all the mentors that we work with are volunteering their time, which is a wonderful thing. We all feel like we're giving back to the industry. At some point, there's got to be a way to monetize this. And yeah. that's one of the things that's got to work out. Because if, the, if there isn't a monetary incentive, at, at some point, people will just limit how much time they put into it. You have to. So, but, but we love seeing you know, results like uh, your example. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, they say yeah, great uh, those stuff, that can so. do and those that can't teach. And the teaching part of it, the people that can do it aren't necessarily the best teachers. And uh, so yeah. uh, putting together a yeah. program where people who've got the knowledge and maybe don't have a lot of experience in imparting that knowledge, um, you could really turn um, out a pretty, pretty kick-ass program. Yeah, one of the things I would love to do, um, you know, I, I do a tremendous amount of speaking and stage time at the CMC. I will probably be a total of 45 to 50 hours in that week uh, between all the different stuff I'm doing. I, I would love to do another program away from the CMC, probably out in the Pacific Northwest, which would almost be like a train the trainer, you know, coach the coach mentor the mentor kind of thing and, and help develop people into better coaches and mentors. That's a great idea. So we'll see. Very great it's idea. on the list, but again, yeah, thanks for the feedback. Uh, it, that really does help out because it is a program we want to expand and we are seeing some amazing results from it. Let's go to Missouri. Casey, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Um, I just had a quick question about tires and wear on them. I drive a yeah. 2013 Cascadia, and I've noticed that on my drives, the rear wear probably three times as fast as the front drives do. I've talked to my mechanic about swapping them when my rears are at about 30%, and he says that does no good, and I was wondering, is he just lazy, or is there an actual reason? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear his reasoning. Um, that's pretty common. The And there's a lot of confusion about this. A lot of people don't understand how the power divider works or how a differential works. Technically, if 
everything is equal when you are going straight down the road, you should get equal wear in every tire position because the power divider and the differentials should spread the power equally to every position. But what can happen is if weight changes on an axle, then that will change how much power goes to a different position. Pretty typical for the rear axle to wear faster. That makes people assume that the front axle isn't getting any of the power from the differential. It's not true. It is. It's just getting less of it because of more than likely a weight distribution issue. And the, the fix is absolutely switched up. There's no reason not to, and it will even out the wear. Now, I don't know. If I, I, I would not wait until I got all the way to 30% of the tread left. I would do... Um, I, I actually like doing it in thirds across the life of the tire. So when we get to 70% of the tread left, we do that first rotation. Um, okay. You know, when we get down to... And you could do it 30, you know, roughly. I mean, 30% isn't going to work out exactly 35, but we're just, you know, we're talking roughly. I would do two to three tire rotations throughout the life of the drive tires, which is usually several years. So you could even say, you know, if your drive tires tend to last three years, which I've seen that happen, just rotate them every year. And I actually like to do a, a, a cross rotation. So the pair up on the right front goes to the left rear, and the pair up on the left front goes to the right rear. Okay, and why would you do that? Just for educational? Um, boy, you, you have to ask the tough questions. I'll give you the honest answer <laughs> because, that's how, because that's how Mike Beckett told me to do it. Gotcha. Okay. And then if you got time, I've got one more quick question about the engine on this truck. Uh, I've got the ISX with a 10-speed Eaton manual. Run basically Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, four-state area mostly. What would be a reasonable ideal horsepower to set this engine at for fuel economy? Uh, you know, we find, and I'll clarify here, every, when we hear horsepower, it's 99% of the time it's stated as crank horsepower, not wheel okay. horsepower. When we work with Pittsburgh Power, we like to state things in wheel horsepower. And there's about a 15 to 20% difference. If you say you have, let's say we look at the engine and it, it says that it's rated for 500 horsepower. That's 500 horsepower at the crank. So what that means is you are losing, uh, let's see, 50, about 75 horsepower by the time you get to the wheels. So that would mean it's 425 horsepower. When we talk about it from Pittsburgh Power setting the ECM, we talk about wheel horsepower. So if we say 500, 
It's 500 at the wheel, meaning it's about 580 or so at the crank. So just so we're clear, I, I like setting wheel horsepower somewhere in the mid to high 500 range, which would mean that its crank horsepower would be in the low 600 range. And then the trick is you try to use as little of that horsepower as possible. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to convince my... I'm a company driver, and I'm trying to convince my supervisors that cutting them out is not the right answer, but so far, well, hitting well, brick walls. <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you why. Because for a fleet, it is the right answer. Because the the there's no incentive for the driver not to use all the horsepower they can. They're not paying for fuel. They're not paying for tires. They're not paying for maintenance. And it's really nice to go up a hill really fast with 600 horsepower. And there's no incentive not to. Okay. So for them, I get it. You know, honestly, I had some of the best drivers. I, I had guys who were with me for decades. I had zero turnover. I wouldn't give them 600 horsepower. Okay. Because the you know the the opposite can happen. Yes, if we if we create good clean horsepower, we make that engine run right with high horsepower, we can get better fuel economy. We can also get a lot worse, and it all comes down to the driver. If the driver doesn't have an incentive, I've seen it a thousand times. You will find one driver out of a hundred who will drive it right to get good fuel economy. The other guys will drive it hard because it's fun and it's quicker. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Robinson. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Let's get right back to the phone calls. We're going to head off to Alabama this time. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, What's on your mind today? Last night, uh, well, I'm at the Peterbilt repair shop. Last night, my rear rear end, the temperature went up to about 265. The red light came on, so the idiot stopped. So, But here at the Peterbilt... <laughs> That's what the idiot lights for. Um, here right. at the Peterboot dealer, yeah, here at the Peterboot dealer, I got here. Well, I got here last night, and um, get up this morning and uh, get it in there. And they, he checked the fluid level; it was full. He said it smelt burned. Well, I'm not surprised. And then uh, uh, they checked trade debt difference, and I, my biggest difference in trade debt is 
7.30 seconds, and then he went in and talked to his supervisor, and they looked up a thing on the Eaton website, and then and he called somebody, and, oh, you need to measure the circumference of the tires. So they measured the circumference of the tires. The four tires on my rear axle... Uh, it's 114 inches circumference, and the smallest one on the front axle is 111 and a half inches. Well, then, then they work out this complicated formula and work out a percentage and blah blah blah. And I didn't understand it. And uh, uh, um, then the the guy. They called, they called um, Eaton again, and the guy asked what the temperature had gone up to, and I said, well, it was over 250, about 260, and he says, well, was there any metal shavings or filings or chunks come out? And I was like, no, and he said, change the oil and drive down the road, so that's what I'm doing. So, Which yeah. is probably, although... I am just really confused, and sometimes I wonder, when I hear something like this, am I the idiot, or could am I just missing something? So let's talk about what they measured and why I'm confused. What the hell does the difference between tire circumference on the front axle and the rear axle have anything to do with this when it was the rear differential that got hot? What yeah. Would, yeah, well, it that's seems what, to me like the, the only thing that would cause the rear differential to get hot would be a huge differential in tire size from the left wheels to the right wheels on the rear differential. Yeah, yeah. Well, the on my rear axle, the smallest circumference is ninety six and a quarter. Uh, no, nine nine foot six and a quarter. And the biggest is nine foot and three quarters of an inch. That's the circumference. That's on the back axle. They're identical. And then the, the front axle. They're... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And the front axle is. Uh, I have about three quarters of an inch different from the left side to the right side. But uh, I don't know if they know what they're doing. But I can change the oil in both rear ends and then. I even called MD Alignment and asked them what I think I might do is take the the tall tires off one side on the rear end and put all the tall tires on one side. Got nothing to lose. So. I, yeah, I, I just, I don't know why they went through all that calculation. It's like we're looking at the wrong, if, and I've seen a, a power divider will handle pretty big differences. And this is just like the last call we just had. You know, we should rotate these tires, I believe, about three times in their life. Keep them as close as we can because it is easier on the power divider when we do that. But I've seen tires with huge differences between the the front axle and the rear. But if that is causing a problem, it should cause the power divider to get hot, not the rear differential. Yeah, well, see, the the, the front differential, the, the power divider one, it was... A, at about two ten, but the rear differential was like it was two, it was over two fifty with my uh, temperature gun. But the the none of the wheel ends were all the wheel ends were within six degrees of each other on all on all four of them. So 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I just wonder, am I missing something? I, I thought I had a really good understanding of how I've, I've sat down with engineers to learn how all of these parts work. And it makes no sense to me what they were even trying to figure out. Yeah, well, I don't know either. But like, I came, I came from Jacksonville to Montgomery, and I stopped there for dinner, and I stopped for about fifty minutes, and then uh, well, I headed north up sixty-five, and when I got about twenty twenty-five miles north, and because the way I sit. When I'm riding down the highway, uh, the steering wheel blocks the view of the rear end gauges. I sort of got to lean over to look. Well, it was when the red yeah. light popped on and caught my eye. And it's like, oh, right. shit. Yeah. So I, I pulled over and, and um, got my so, tent. Uh, first, I hopped out to make sure nothing was on fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might have let it burn thing. if it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so have they pulled the fluid out of this yet? He pulled the fluid out of the the front or rear end. I said, "We'll change the both of them, and I'll see what happens." Yeah. So get an oil. Get an oil sample it. if you can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, get a sample yeah. because just because I think we have mechanical wear here. I, I think there's something in there that that is wearing that's causing that heat, and we wouldn't necessarily see chunks. Something doesn't have to break. But in a sample, yep. we would be able to see elevated wear metals and figure out what component's failing. Yeah, okay. Right, I'll do that then. Yeah, yeah, get a sample. Um, if you get it from us, that makes it easier because then I can just go in and look at it. Um, I, I am just, I don't know why they would be looking at the difference in tire height from front to back. Let's go to... Uh, Georgia. Don, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? Well, we're in the process of buying a trailer, and the trailer is coming with a smart truck basic system under tray and the goes over the door. Uh, given all things okay. equal with that system, would you install the top kit or put air tabs on the trailer to finish off the back end? Oh, uh, boy. Um, so you, you... The way I understand did, did, it, basically they both do the same thing. Now, did you say... No, the top kit and the um, the air tabs aren't. You're, you're thinking of the, the side kit that goes on the back of the trailer itself, but on the sides. Yeah, that, well, by definition on Smart Truck's website, the top kit is all three pieces for the back. Got it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we were talking about, you know, there we I've really, really been wanting to do some testing where we put the top kit on because the top kit absolutely works together, all three pieces. The guys from AirTabs believe that we could create an even better airflow if we put the AirTabs right in front of the top kit on the sides. So it, my answer is either or um, or both, possibly both. Because we're possibly not talking both. about a lot of money. Yeah, possibly both. Um, if it were my trailer, I would do both just because I'd like to experiment with things. 
Um, but I don't have any proof on this. You know, it's the guys at, at air tabs who have said, if you look at the way this is working, our air tabs in front of their kit would create an even better flow. And then you also, um, is this a dry van? Yes. So you also want to get the new lead edge. Oh, of course. That goes without saying. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, and did you say you have the diffuser? No. Uh, this trailer is going to have a lift gate. Okay. Got it. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's as far as what we do to the back of the trailer, I would say either um, or both. I think you'd be, okay. be in good shape either way. All right, so we'll figure this out and get something to hopefully done at CMC. Excellent. Sounds and that's a great place to do it. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. Let's uh let's see what are we looking like on the club. You know what? We're going to get to a break. So there's the music. I'll take us into the break. We'll come back and we'll get to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This hour is just flying by. I can't believe we're down to the final segment. I'm going to get to as many calls as I can. Head off to California. Dave, it's your turn. Hey, Kevin. Um, I have a real good question, and I know you always say it's all about the numbers. Okay, so I'm watching your yeah. YouTube video about of Richard Forrest, and he says how much – oh, my question is this. How much is fixed per cost per day if you own the truck? And it's all paid off. And he says it's one hundred fifteen dollars a day, but I don't know if the if the truck is paid off or not. So, what is it if the, if you downright own the truck? Well, did you say this was uh, Richard DeForest on YouTube? Uh huh. Yes. Okay. He's a great guy, by the way. Um, Richard's okay. a really good friend of mine. Um, he must be, and I haven't seen this particular video. He must be talking about an average and the reason i say that it's different for everybody first off we have to look at what what fixed cost we have one is truck payment no question and once the truck is paid for then the fixed cost is going to change pretty dramatically but we also have insurance we have permits and that that insurance and permits are obviously going to be very different for everybody we have uh heavy vehicle use tax we have so we could there's lots of different things that could go into fixed cost 
So it's going to be different for everybody. So I have a feeling he's probably using an average from, you know, they, they do accounting. Richard DeForest, part of ATBS, um, they do accounting for tens of thousands of owner-operators. So they're probably, he's probably using an average that comes out of their system. There's another factor here, though, that we could, we could argue back and forth all day long, and it doesn't really matter how we do this formula as long as we're consistent. And here's where I've seen people argue. How many days do we, do we use to figure out cost per day? Do we want to use 365 days because that's how many there are in a year? Do we want to use five days a week times so, you know, 250 or 260 days because we don't want to count weekends? Do, do you see where I'm going here? That, yep. that number yeah. is going to change all kinds of things. You know, if you say, well, here's my fixed cost per mile and I've done it on 365 days because that's how many days there are in a year – then when we go to use that number and you say, well, my break-even is X per day, well, you're going to be wrong unless you're willing to work 365 days a year, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I, some people use 365 because it's easy. I want to use the number of days I want to work, and that's going to be different than everybody else. Maybe I only want to work 200 days a year. So I'm going to calculate my fixed cost on 200 days a year and then say, this is my break-even. I need to make this much a day for the days that I want to go work in order to overcome my fixed cost. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So I want to kind of measure that on 365 days because I want to know how much each day it costs me for taking a day off. Why? Okay, so uh, you want to know what? Yeah. So here's 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 the easiest. So then forget whatever was on that video because I think he was just using it to make a point. And the uh-huh. number he uses, or the number I use, or the number anybody would use is meaningless. You have to calculate your number. So this is what we do in profit gauges. If if you look at our one page business report, your fixed cost is right there. So okay. that's the number that matters. Your number is the only one that matters. Okay. I I didn't know you had the fixed cost on profit gauges. I, I haven't we, looked at it yet. You know, yeah, you need to look at our one-page business report because I'm, I'm bragging a little bit because I'm really proud of this. I have never found another accounting program anywhere, trucking or not that gives you all this information on one page so easy to read. We have real dollar amount, we have cost per mile, we have a percentage of income, and we show it for fixed cost and variable cost, all on one page. Sometimes it goes to two if you have a lot of categories, but um, it's designed to fit on one page. And all of that is right there. So if you were using our software, you could go in at any time and say, okay, what is my fixed cost now? What is my fixed cost per mile? And then it would only be a simple calculation to know what it is per day. And the reason we don't have it in there per day, I would put it in there, determine how many days. I would put it in as how many days I want to work a year. 
you want to put it in as 365. So that's why it's not on there. But the number you need first is you need to know what are your fixed costs. And our report would give you that number. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, one other, if I can uh, squeeze in just one other question. Sure. I, uh, right, right now I'm in between jobs. I was a company driver for about 20 years. And, and uh, anyways, I, uh, all my stuff is in storage. So if I become an owner-operator and I, I need a home-based address, what would the base uh, like to get, I'll pick up my mail and set my business at? What state would you recommend that I would uh, do this as a home base? Well, if I, if I get to pick any state, and it doesn't matter you know, whether you have freight going through there or not, my first choice on the state is South Dakota. South oh, Dakota okay. by far has the best tax laws, um, the best vehicle registration fees. They have no state income tax. It's just if you want to spend the least amount of money to be in business, it's probably South Dakota. My second choice, probably Texas. Their vehicle okay. registration fee can be a little high, but they don't have a state income tax, and they're very business friendly. Okay. And would you throw in uh, Nevada as well? Nevada would be okay. Um, and, okay. You know, there are seven states without a state income tax. Any of those seven are better than any other state. But okay. if we get right down to the nitty-gritty of all the things you would spend money on, vehicle registration, plates, all that stuff, South Dakota would be first. Texas would probably be second. Um, Florida certainly ranks up there. Tennessee's not bad. But, again, I'm rattling Nevada. Uh, I'm rattling off states that don't have a state income tax. That's kind of the first criteria. Let's go to Georgia. Russell, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Uh, I am a BCO at Landstar, and when I signed the contract at Landstar, I knew there was a clause that required me to have workman's compensation. Well, let me, let me clarify. What state do you live in? I live in New Jersey. So are you, and this is a state thing. That's why I'm asking. Are you Correct. required to have workers' compensation, or can you work with um, what's called occupational accident? According to New Jersey State, I am an LLC, and if the LLC has no employees other than, you know, you can have the principal owner or the single-member LLC, you are not required to have workman's compensation. Okay. However... The Landstar contract on page 16 requires residents of New Jersey, New York, and there's a couple other states to have workman's comp. Now, they, you do not have to buy their workman's comp. You can get it anywhere you want. And I called a couple places around. Some wouldn't even underwrite it. I called UIDA, and they said that because they underwrite something else for Landstar, they could not it would for me, but they asked me to look into getting CPP, Contractor Protection Plan. But Landstar will not allow me to have that. They're making it mandatory for me to have workman's comp. Because of New Jersey? Because of New Jersey. Now, I went to the New Jersey website, and I sent an email yesterday to support 
at Let's Truck with all the details showing that New Jersey law does not require me to have it. My question is, well, does the contract, Landstar contract, supersede New Jersey law? Yes, it does. And, and I'll tell you why? why they do this. Well, they, they don't even have to have a reason why. They are allowed to require whatever they want in order for you to contract. I have seen shippers that will not let you on the property unless you have workers comp, and, and they can require that. So there's nothing that stops a company from requiring workers comp. I'll tell you why Landstar does it in certain states, because they look at case law. So New Jersey can say all day long, we don't require you to have it. But if you look at the legal cases, when somebody doesn't have it, New Jersey still says, oh, well, you know, you should have been an employee, and we're going to demand that the carrier you are contracted to pays your workers' comp claims. And Landstar knows that's the history, and they have to protect themselves. If I were you, I would get another business address somewhere, and I would make it like Tennessee, Florida, Texas, like the last call with no state income tax. Doesn't mean you have to live there all the time, but it would save a ton of money in workers' comp. Wish I had more time to cover that one, but the music says I've got to get out of here. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.